And so balance in life is that fragile. And instead of pursuing balance, we think a better idea and a more biblical idea is the idea of having um, a life with the right priorities. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all the other stuff will fall into place. That actually when you're aiming at one thing, the rest kind of falls into the right um, place. Um, Last week we looked at uh, priority and centeredness. And uh, Chris Drennan was speaking. He spoke of Mary and Martha, the story where um, Martha was troubled with many things, and Mary had chosen one thing. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Not that the answer is, no matter what, always just sit at the feet of Jesus, because um, Mary, in another moment, would have to prioritize doing the dishes also. Um, but it was that priority, not being troubled by many things, but choosing your priorities um, according to the kingdom of God. Um, so one thing. Um, this was a memorable quote from last week. Um, this is um, by an author named Mark Buchanan. He says, forget balance, go for a magnificent obsession. And this week we're looking at rhythm. Now, this Mark Buchanan has written a book called Spiritual Rhythm, and uh, this message has been shaped by the contents of that book, and if you resonate with this series or this message, uh, that would be a great extra resource you could look at to kind of dive deeper into some of these ideas. But we're going to look today at the seasons of the heart. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you version, or a tablet, or a hard copy with you, an analog version, um, you can grab that now. Um, If you don't have a Bible personally, the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you are our gift to you. You're welcome to take that uh, home with you so that you've got a copy of the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, or that's where we're going to start. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear uh, and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. (laughs) It would be a very funny picture to see um, the person trying to build and the person trying to tear down if that was all happening at the same time. Um, If you've got little kids and there are blocks involved, that's exactly what happens where somebody's trying to build something, somebody's taking the whole thing down. Um, but things are separated into their seasons. Now, we adjust to the seasons on earth much more easily than we do to perhaps the spiritual seasons. Um, You know, we wear shorts in the summertime, um, parkas in the winter, Um, or if you're like me, um, when you're outside, you can wear a T-shirt and shorts, but when you come inside to an air-conditioning building, you have to put on a sweater. Um, We plant in the spring, we harvest in the fall, we mow our lawns in the summer, but not in the winter, or at least I don't, perhaps you do. There are activities 
and inactivities for each season. And this is true for the seasons of the heart. But we don't always easily adjust to these. Our aim this morning is to um, be able to identify the predominant season, perhaps, that we are in spiritually and know how we can steward that well, know what activities we should be involved with and what kind of inactivities we should have. So we're going to walk through the seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Okay, winter. Winter, well, you know what, living where we do, um, we've learned how to survive it, how to thrive in it, and even enjoy winter. Um, you know, winter sports, you know, it's beautiful sometimes in the winter. There's great things. We've learned how to do it well as Canadians. But there is a darkness that presses in on all of us in winter, undoubtedly. Um, the highest rates of suicide are always in winter. And it's the same uh, in the spiritual season of winter. It's cold, bleak, and dark. There's more night than day. Um, most things seem dead. Uh, winter shames those in it. It feels like personal failure. Something we've caused, something we've missed, something we've faltered in, um, we're sure that it's our fault. We wonder if we're crazy, if we're lazy, if we're stupid. We feel alone. We often have the assumption that God is not in winter. God has abandoned me, or I've wandered from him. But this bleakness, this fruitlessness, can't be blessed by him. If I loved God, if he loved me, I wouldn't be here. Psalm 88 is a psalm that's written by um, the sons of Korah. They've written other psalms. Most of the psalms are quite upbeat. They would be top 40 pop hits. But this is something different. Psalm 88, this is perhaps maybe what winter of the soul is like. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. 
Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. If you feel like darkness is your closest friend, it's likely that you are in the season of the heart, winter. Winter hides God. It feels like he's absent. Our knowledge of God, perhaps from the word, and our experience of God seem irreconcilable. What we know and what we experience seem very different. We experience the absence of friends. We feel alone, abandoned, rejected, isolated, friendless, even when we're surrounded by crowds of people. It makes us feel unloved and unlovable. Winter is death. It's a living death. Unlike Psalm 23, David's psalm about the good shepherd, though this psalmist walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he feels like he has no assurance. His experience is that God is absent. Perhaps you're in winter. Um, Winter activities. When you're in the spiritual season of winter, there is prayer, pruning, and waiting. The psalmist here prays more than he's ever prayed. He prays day and night. He cries out. He spreads out his hands towards heaven. Winter tries to bury him, and he keeps digging his way out through prayer. Prayer is the ongoing work of winter. He prays that what he knows of God, uh, or he prays what he knows of God, not what he experiences or sees of God. His praying is anchored in the word, not just the experience he's currently having. Pruning. Pruning is another activity of winter. Jesus told his disciples that a loving, abiding, fruit-bearing relationship with him means there will be times of pruning. He said, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Winter is not the time for adding things, but for cutting things. What needs to be cut out of your life that isn't bearing fruit? That's something to consider if you're in the season of winter. Waiting. Winter forces us to wait. Uh, You can't shingle your roof in winter. You have to wait (laughs) until spring or summer, fall, or at least in this part of the world you do. Um, Waiting builds faith. Waiting turns a grub into a butterfly. Paul experienced a a season of barrenness. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we read, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us for such a deadly, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many 
um, will give thanks on our behalf and for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to prayers of many. Now, as Canadians, we've learned to find winter's gift, the good things that it has to offer. Skating, um, snowmobiling, um, seeing and the frost on the trees in the morning, the beauty. Um, and there is a gift in um, the season of the soul, winter. Winter makes us heavenly minded. We are not made for this world, and it's never more clear in winter. We become so aware that it's not supposed to be like this forever. We anticipate the coming kingdom. So how do we steward the season of winter? We pray, we prune, and we wait. Spring. Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They will, um, then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the, hot, in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Another way to understand the idea of winter is to also think about the idea of desert or wasteland. Those are images that come up in the scripture many times over and over again, dealing with the season of our hearts. And here we see life returning to a desert. Life returns and so does hope. Uh, it would have been my father's 65th uh, birthday yesterday. Uh, many of you know that he passed away this last December. When he first had cancer... He had treatments throughout the year that followed diagnosis. It was a very dark winter, but it gave way to spring. My dad found hope. Hope wasn't just an idea, it was a boat. He dreamed and made new plans while he sat in his chemo chair and eventually set sail in a boat named Hope. His health and strength returned, and he enjoyed several more years um, of good health. Spring is what, feels like, what it feels like when God is on the move. Spring pulses with joy. God's springtime begins with a renewal within you. The renewal comes out of a dryness and a wilderness. It seems unlikely that spring would come from winter, and yet it does. Spring of the heart may come from a winter of 
a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, poor health, a valley of depression, maybe a season of conflict in your home or at work. He will come and save you. We see this picture in Isaiah of a people with feeble hands, weak knees, and fearful hearts just about to crumble underneath the weight of it all. And just at the right moment, God comes to the rescue. Um, the images from a number of moments throughout um, Lord of the Rings came, came to mind. You know, where the reinforcements arrive, the battle's just about to be lost, but the reinforcements arrive and victory is won. As a side note, did you know the word helper, speaking of there was Adam and no suitable helper was found and God brings Eve on the scene. That word helper is a military term like the rescuer. <laughs> you know, he sometimes thinks help is, well, there's a task before me and I could do it by myself, but if I had help, that would be nice. We'd get it done maybe more efficiently, uh, more quickly, something like that. But this is a task that would be impossible without the reinforcements, without the helper. Um, so if you're sitting next to your spouse, you can turn to them and say, this would be impossible without you. <laughs> and here we see God coming in and rescuing and bringing us from winter into spring. Um, Naomi and I had a long-distance relationship um, that started in summer, and uh, we were married by the next summer. Um, but that whole year, it was spring. There was vitality that seeped into everything that I was involved with. Um, a few weeks before our wedding, a pastor and mentor uh, of mine asked me if I thought that life was filled with more joy or with more sorrow. I said, joy! <laughs> and uh, I was in the middle of the season of spring. He, on the other hand, was in a winter, a dark winter, and he had lots of heaviness on his heart, and so we chatted about the different seasons that we were in. I think in many ways, Hillcrest is in a spring season. This last year has been exciting. As a leadership team, we feel like we're on the verge of something deeply significant and exciting. Ask anyone on the leadership team, whether staff or elders, about church renewal, and you'll get the sense that we've been planting and are seeing the first signs of growth and couldn't be more happy about what God is starting to do. That doesn't mean that each person individually is in spring, but somehow collectively we are. There are three ways you might see renewal take place in spring. Emotional renewal, physical renewal, and moral renewal. Emotional renewal. In winter, it's hard to hear overly positive speech about anything. It all seems foreign. But in spring, words of cheer and love songs are the only ones that make sense. In winter, it's hard to get yourself out of bed, but in spring, you bounce out of bed. You're ready to tackle the day before the day itself is up. Physical renewal. How many of you are more active now, actually, that it's spring than you were a few months ago? How many of you are watching less TV? How many of you have already lost a few pounds? There is a physical renewal when spring comes, both in the natural and in the spiritual. Many times, the emotional renewal leads to this physical renewal. In Isaiah, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame leap, and the mute speak. These are the signs of the Messiah. 
when John the Baptist, while in prison before his death, sends his disciples to seek out Jesus, asking if he's truly the Messiah, Jesus uses these words in response. Um, He speaks of the lame leaping, the blind seeing, deaf hearing. Though John was hearing these words of spring, ultimately he was in winter and in the final season of his life. Jesus the Messiah, he is a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He is close to the brokenhearted. Jesus reserves his deepest intimacy for winter, but he displays his greatest handiwork in spring. He brings living water into thirsty lands, emotional strength to faltering hearts, physical wellness to the sick and the lame. Perhaps you know a personal story of someone who's seen a physical renewal where God has done something amazing in their lives and they've um, been rejuvenated. They found new life, new health. Moral renewal. In spring, it becomes easier somehow to cut out the things in our diet that are unhealthy. It seems like there's more fresh fruit and vegetables around. And the more active you become, the more you need to replenish with real nutrients. Your appetite increases for good and healthy food. So you eat more of the right stuff and less of the wrong stuff. Spiritual spring is much the same. You begin to clean up and sort out and get rid of things in your life that are wasteful and unhealthy. You're honest about sin in your life and you do something about it rather than feeling powerless like you may in winter. You start good and healthy spiritual habits. It's easier to pick up and read your Bible or to spend some time in prayer. We get outside, we see nature's beauty and we give God the glory. This is where people's devotional life goes from burden and obligation to delight. It's a great time to cultivate spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, meditation. In winter, there was praying, pruning, and waiting. In spring, there was plowing, planting, and cleaning. Plowing. The only work as hard as plowing is harvesting, but harvest has its reward mixed with its labor. And that makes the work lighter. Plowing is done when the promise of the reward is distant. Spiritually, what does it mean to plow? First, it means to listen. Do you remember Jesus' story, the parable of the sower, scattering seed everywhere? Ultimately, the parable is about having a listening heart, receiving the word of truth. Plowing, in some ways, is receiving the word, letting it seep into your heart. Are you listening in order to obey? Planting. Spring is the best time to launch new things. Perhaps God has placed an idea in you that could have eternal significance. In the season of spring, it would be time to plant that idea, to invest. Cleaning. Spring cleaning. Nobody ever talks about winter cleaning or fall cleaning or summer cleaning, but spring cleaning. In spring, you can see dust and mold and clutter for what it is. That clarity doesn't happen in every season. And that urgency must be taken advantage of. If you leave it too long, if you end up in summer, uh, the spring cleaning will happen next year, maybe. Summer. When you think of your most fond memories, you likely end up in moments in summer. Does anybody not think that summer is the best, the best season? 
would you choose spring to stay there forever? You might like spring. There's beautiful things about spring. But if you could press pause and say we're staying right here forever, would you choose spring? What about, what about fall? Uh, in fall, you know, in Saskatchewan, fall is a weekend where, you know, Friday, it's summer. Saturday, you know, it turns yellow. Sunday, it's beginning to snow. I lived in Ontario for a while near Toronto, and there they have a fall that goes all the way to Christmas. It's amazing. But would you want to stay there forever? What about winter? Again, you may love things about winter, but winter forever. I dream of an endless summer. In fact, Jesus compares summer to the kingdom. In Revelation, we actually even read this. Uh, this is chapter 22 of Revelation. Um, the heading in my Bible says, Eden restored. That sounds nice. I don't think the Garden of Eden was in winter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as crystal as, or as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree uh, are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them. They will see his face, and his name, name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp the light of the, or light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here's this picture of 12 months in a year, and they're all summer. A tree set in one season, and there's fruit, the endless summer. In Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 29, uh, he tells him this parable. A look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. We need to anticipate the coming summer. The connection between summer and the kingdom is significant. Now, summer is just the best but it's not without its dangers. When we are in the season of summer, it's easy to think we're in heaven, though we are truly not. We're likely to become complacent. We're likely to start investing in earthly, temporal things rather than in heavenly, eternal things. The kingdom is near, but the fullness of the kingdom is still yet to come. In summer, we need to see all the ways that summer is like heaven, but we need to also be reminded that the summer is only a foretaste of the endless summer. In winter, there was praying, pruning, and waiting. In spring, there was plowing, planting, and cleaning. In the summer, there was rest, peace, joy, and fruit. Rest. How many of have you heard the verse, Be still and know that I am God? How many of you practice that regularly? Summer would be a great time to start to practice, to get into that habit. Let go of the busyness and enjoy the goodness of God. Experience His presence. Peace. Your peace will be tested in other seasons, but you must practice it in summer at rest. 
Don't be in a rush. Don't worry. Rest and be at peace. Joy. Joy is a sign of the Messiah's presence. The wine at his banqueting table. Joy is the savor and aroma of heaven. We need to kind of indulge ourselves in these things. Fruit. In summer, people are always giving away tomatoes. In winter, it's very rare to have someone approach you and say, I have way too many tomatoes, would you like some? In summer, we need to delight in the good gifts that God has given. We need to even let it spill out into the lives around us. We shouldn't abstain from the abundance, the unbalanced nature of summer. We need to um, enjoy the good things that God gives. Now, some are selfish in summer. They hoard the blessing that God gives. But that only limits and imprisons the great joy that can be found in giving it away. Jesus also said it's better to give than to receive. Now, in summer, it's very important to drink water. Without it, the fun to be had, playing, working hard, would be undone. You'd be dehydrated, you know, heat stroke, etc. In spiritual summer, it's vital to be filled and filled again with the Spirit of God. It's easy in the summer to forget the disciplines that you cultivated in the spring. But without them, you'll lose out um, on even more of the joy and fruitfulness that comes in the summer. Fall. Again, I had only seen the Saskatchewan fall until, you know, I moved out to Toronto. I spent about seven years there and uh, was astounded. Every time that the fall came around, it was different. And um, very powerful, very beautiful. Fall is for reaping and for storing. It's also for feasting and thanking. Now, throughout the Bible, again, constantly we are given images of agriculture and about fruit, about planting, sowing, reaping. Agriculture is about patience and anticipation. We expect the work of spring will pay off in the fall. Throughout our lives, we sow. The actions and behaviors of our life produce a crop that we will reap. Fall will be deeply rewarding or deeply upsetting. When you have sown into God's kingdom, you'll be able to enjoy and feast and be thankful for the bounty of his goodness. However, you may find yourself reaping from what you have sown in sin and selfishness. You will find yourself in distress. And even more so because you will enter again winter without that bounty. Feasting is not just about celebration, though we need to celebrate and enjoy what God gives and be thankful. It's also for putting on fat because winter is coming. Too many people face hard winters because they have not feasted on the goodness of the Lord in a season when he was providing We must also be mindful of the harvest, the great harvest, the final harvest, the harvest of souls. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The fields are ripe for the harvest. We saw that in Joe's video just earlier. 
what we need to do. Um, we need to look. We need to pray. We need to go. When it comes to the harvest, Jesus speaking says, open your eyes and look at the fields. We need an awareness of how ripe the harvest truly is. We need to open our eyes. Looking shows us the problem. Praying makes it our problem. We must pray that God would send forth workers into the field. And we must go. Be obedient to his call to go. Now the metaphor of seasons has been applied to life in other ways. Um, Your youth is spring. Summer, your early adult years. Fall, your later adult years. Winter, old age. Some of you are in that fall season of life and are looking back on your spring and summer, hoping the planting you have done will reap good rewards. You are perhaps looking back on years gone by and dreaming of returning to those summer days. Now, a major problem that we can face is nostalgia. I'm not, there's a positive thing to nostalgia, um, but there's something to nostalgia that is dangerous. Nostalgia, in the negative way, I think, is looking back to find a time and a place that you'd rather be, to go backward, to trade now for then. The people of Israel often struggled with looking back. They wanted to return. They wanted slavery in Egypt, where they had free fish, instead of the hardships that they faced in their newfound freedom. After King Solomon and the golden era of Israel, when it was most successful, most wonderful, most influential, they longed to go back to the era of their greatest earthly king. But we aren't supposed to go back. We're supposed to go forward to the time of our eternal king. Summer, the endless summer. Now, some of you have seen very good days You've lived through the era when it was all coming together. It was a time to build. Things were happening and you were right at the center of it all. But now you've entered a different season and you're longing to go back. This week is entitled Rhythm, the spiritual rhythms, the seasons. Rhythm is a musical term. Music is a great way also to identify an era. You just have to say a decade and a certain sound comes to mind. The 20s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. There's a book and a documentary out there called This Is Your Brain on Music. And there's lots of fascinating tidbits about um, how music affects us and our brains. Did you know that in your late teens, early 20s, something happens in your brain, some kind of chemical reaction um, that essentially locks in your favorite kind of music? Many of you, anyone past that time knows this to be true. The music that you largely enjoy is the music that most reflects that time period. It's a once in a life thing that actually happens. Now, as a worship leader over the last uh, nearly 20 years of leading worship since my teens, um, I've had many conversations about what kinds of music to use in worship. On occasion, in those conversations, people reveal their discontent for the music being used. Sometimes it's because of theological reasons. Sometimes it's the literary devices, the metaphors, the images, etc. But many times the discontent I've encountered is nostalgia. 
a desire to go back to a different era. Now, I'm like you. The music that I heard in my late teens, early 20s, um, still influences the music that I like today. Uh, And I'm not saying that any era musically in worship is better, greater or lesser. But don't be nostalgic, not with music, not with anything. Rather, we need to anticipate, eagerly expect the sound of heaven where there is a timeless sound, where generations are united, where Gregorian chant meets modern ramp over a symphony of DJs, blazing guitar solos, the thundering of angels' wings, and the voices of all the saints singing in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Let's look forward in eager anticipation of the endless summer to come. And beware of nostalgia. Don't try to back up into a summer you've seen, but let every summer remind you of the summer, the endless summer to come. Okay, let's wrap up. No matter what the season you are in, you're headed for another. That will be encouraging to some of you and devastating to others of you. Be prepared for it to be wildly out of balance. Be ready to add and ready to subtract based on the season that you are in. Know that in every season he is still God. He is still with you, though he seems absent. That Jesus is the vine. Stay in him. And his father is the gardener. And he will see us fruitful. Now, spiritual seasons don't follow the same rules as our earthly seasons. They don't always go in the same order, nor is their length as predictable. Sometimes life um, seems like it's snowing one day, flowers and bloom the next, snowing the next day, which for those of us in this part of the world seems not so far-fetched. Also, don't over-apply the metaphor of spiritual seasons that are exactly like the seasons on earth. Instead, press deeper into the word where you will find company with people who have walked through every season of the soul and more you will find him the one who will walk you through every season of the soul as we wrap up I'll invite the worship team again to come back Uh, but first we're going to give you an opportunity to do some listening prayer we believe that we should pray to God and hear from him So we're going to take a few minutes, quiet our hearts before the Lord, and ask him to speak to us. I'll prompt you with a few questions. They'll be up here on the screen. If you're a note taker or a journaler, you know, feel free to write down the conversation or even to look back at these questions uh, as you keep seeking the Lord. Okay, first question. What is the predominant spiritual season I'm in currently? For some of you, it was very clear right from the very beginning. For others of you, you're maybe more foggy. Maybe you're feeling like you're in a mixture of different kinds of seasons. And again, uh, don't press too hard on the metaphor, but just seek the Lord about what he would say to you. Are there activities that I need to stop in in, in light of the current season that I'm in? Are there activities I need to stop? Are there activities that I need to start in light of the current season that I'm in? Is there anything that you want to say to me right now about the season that I'm in?
Father in heaven, I'm so deeply grateful that you walk with us in every season, that you produce in us something of eternal worth. God, give us the strength that each of us needs to steward each season that we are in. I'm going to turn things over to the worship team. They're going to lead us in a song, and uh, if you, uh, after that song, uh, would like prayer, um, we'll have people that are available to pray with you. I'll be available if you'd like to pray. Perhaps you need prayer just because of the season that you're in, Um, whatever that comes up. If there's other things, too, we'd like to welcome you to have that chance to just uh, stay and uh, pray. If you want to reflect on these four questions, again, um, this would be a great time to do that. We'll make this a place of, uh, following the song, we'll make this place a, a place of prayer. And uh, if you have just visiting or catching up you need to do, we invite you to do that in the rest of the building.